I'm Brian Walsh, and from Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. Today on the show, we're featuring a conversation between Erica Karp of Cornerstone Capital Group and Impact Alpha's own David Bank. Cornerstone recently launched its Access Impact Fund on the NASDAQ stock market. Let's jump right into their conversation. Hi, I'm here with Erica Karp, the CEO and founder of Cornerstone Capital Group, coming to us from New York. Welcome, Erica. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. You're actually back on the Returns on Investment podcast because we had a podcast uh, four years ago in 2015. So um, welcome back, I should have said. Thank you. We've been chatting for a long time, and and I and you're one of the sort of original um, seers, I think, of uh, in, into this whole whole world um, from your days at at UBS um, in research. And now Cornerstone, you told me, is five years old. That's right. So we're you know half a decade into the trend you're you've been calling. Where where are we at in I don't know the adoption curve or the tipping point, as people like to call it. Well, I don't, I don't think it's actually a, a, a tipping or inflection point. I think it's an uh, I think it's an evolution. And over the last five years, I think we've come a, a pretty long way, but not enough, not enough, and not fast enough. And I remember David on our last uh, call a few years ago, we focused on the uh, the structure of the capital markets, what was going on with uh, asset owners and asset managers and investment banks. And so that structural call uh, is still very much in place. And so it's the discipline of ESG analysis that's beginning to uh, to move forward. So the discipline, I think, is is right. And, and as you've been, you've been telling me, it's like you can't get the benefit of that analysis unless you're Unless you're really having that impact or really living that li- living that ESG uh, lifestyle, isn't that right? I mean, you can't fake it if uh, uh, for for forever anyway, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you'd be surprised. Some people's lifestyle <laughs> is not consistent with sustainable investing, but that's fine. We don't make judgments. And the reason I use the term discipline is because um, you hear uh, impact investing or sustainable investing or double bottom line, triple bottom line, values-based investing, uh, impact investing, whatever you want to call it, it's all investing. And if you hear anyone say ESG investing, stop them because there's no such thing as ESG investing. ESG analysis, that's a thing. And when you do that, then you can do any kind of investing you want. So in terms of the discipline of sustainable or impact uh, investing with ESG analysis, there we've made a lot of progress over the last few years. We still have big data challenges. We still have uh, challenges of measuring impact, but we're making progress. And certainly when it comes to asset flows, we're making progress. Well, take it take it sort of down to ground for me, because that's what I always think of, of you as doing. I mean, you are doing deep corporate analysis of corporate operations and seeing where they're generating their value from. So this is not some, you know, layer of, you know, do goodness on the top. This is like corporate, where their revenues are, what business is in, where they see the future growth coming from, you know, as well as how they run it, of course. But but it's also like, how are you thinking about the future? And, and are there corporations that are, you know, that stand out in that kind of analysis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there definitely are. And and by the way, we really focus on um, strategies and portfolio managers, funds uh, that are really doing those deep dives into the corporates. Um, we do believe that with ESG analysis, the G is first among equals, right? And if you have a company that is uh, not doing the E, 
the environmental, and the S, the social, well, then by definition, they're not well governed, period. So we're able to start from the top, think about governance, and then deploy whatever uh, research and uh, intellectual firepower we have in conjunction with our managers that are going deep into the companies. Now, when it comes to corporate governance, uh, we do some work with boards of directors and executive teams and some of the uh, organizations out there um, to start uh, finding companies that are, one, uh, consistent in what they do and what they say, two, transparent in terms of offering insight into disclosures of material ESG factors, three, that are uh, accountable and put, you know, incentive structures in place uh, so that you have a company moving in uh, in the same direction consistently at the same time. So it does go down to our understanding how companies in various sectors manage risks and rewards. So as an example, one example, if you're talking about uh, the hotel industry, the airline industry, let's make absolutely sure that they understand the risk of um, human trafficking, as an example. In certain industries, well, let's say media, let's make sure a company is understanding structurally what it means to have uh, the potential for sexual and gender-based violence, right? Those are governance issues. And that's where we push our uh, managers to press the companies that they own. Okay, let's get down to how the business actually works. It sounds like what you're saying is that your expertise is picking managers who are good at managing for these risks, um, doing the ESG analysis, as you said. Um, uh, and you found some managers um, that you are excited about. You've put them together in something that's, I think, just coming out fairly recently on the NASDAQ stock exchange, CCIIX. So tell us how that all, uh, what, what that strategy is all about. Well, it's very exciting for us because our primary business has always been advising uh, families or individuals or foundations. And it's wonderful that we can get sustainable and impact solutions uh, for those institutions, as it were. But what about everyone? What about managing all money in a way that you integrate uh, this systematic analysis of ESG and you allow people to have impact. And the reality is if we don't get this economy, uh, the global capital markets uh, moving in the same direction towards impact, uh, we're in a lot of trouble, obviously. Trillions of dollars need to move and you can't just do that um, uh, with a small sector of the global capital markets. So when you um, when you think about these managers, uh, these strategies uh, that really do intentionally and measurably look for impact. Sometimes um, mainstream investors can't get into those funds. Uh, The minimums could be too high. The fees could be too high. And so in thinking about this platform of managers that Cornerstone has built, and I am talking about, you know, uh, 130 or so managers across asset classes. And by the way, that's after doing the diligence on hundreds and hundreds of managers. But when we have great managers and we can negotiate on behalf of our clients and broad, you know, the broader investment field, then why not create something that's accessible to everyone? Why not democratize impact investing? And so what we've done is we've taken, you know, our expertise and our insights and brought it together into uh, a publicly traded uh, 40 act mutual fund. Um, a fund that uses, again, what we believe are some of the finest managers in the world, 
um, has um, global thematics in, in, a, in a purposeful, intentional way, allows for daily liquidity, has a $1,000 minimum, is fossil fuel free, and really focused on some of the key sustainable uh, investment themes. So we are talking about the future economy, uh, energy transform uh, transformation. We're talking about uh, thinking about things uh, with a gender lens. We're talking about um, financial technology. We're talking about the future of the oceans. We're talking about water, uh, water investing. And then, of course, other broad global themes. Um, so it's very exciting to have this product that... Um, that effectively is a turnkey solution, high quality solution uh, for all investors. Again, democratizing impact investing. So that's what, that's what we've created here. And just to be clear, what it is, is a mutual fund, as you said, of underlying funds that have, have these uh, sustainability thematics. Um, people can actually see the, the real funds in, in your filings. It's all now SEC approved and whatnot, and it's called CCIIX. And so just in terms of the, the the finance aspects of it, these are public equities, obviously, on the stock markets. You said all ca all small companies, mid caps, large companies, all different regions, right? Yep, all cap, all region. All cap, all regions for the the wonks, long only. So you're not shorting companies. Uh, so it's a very um, straightforward sort of strategy, right? The benchmark is the uh, uh, the MSCI All Country World Index. Uh, that's our benchmark. Gotcha. Okay. Now, in terms of just trends in the world of finance, you know, active management, mutual funds. I mean, doesn't isn't that isn't that your grandfather's investing strategy? Lots of fees, lots of uh, thing. I mean, hasn't the world gone to you know index, you know, passive index funds and just uh, you know stop playing the market? You know, um, I, I have an issue. I think to truly do sustainable and impact investing, um, it, it is active investing. It is uh, like the, uh, uh, the sub-advisors in this fund. They are all actively managed. They are all voting their proxies. They are all engaging with the companies um, to understand what the issues are, again, the risks and the opportunities. So I think that with active management, you are, first of all, much more likely to drive change. Uh, secondly, with skilled managers who are thinking long term, this is how you get to sustainable and responsible investment. And um, given all the uncertainty in the global markets, given some volatility that we're seeing, you know, I think active management is is still the way to go if you really want to know what is your money doing um, at night. Well, that's okay. Let's 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 take it even closer to ground. Then, I mean, to the extent that looking to the future, I don't know how much money has come into your um, your your fund so far, but let's let's imagine some very uh, uh, prosperous future where lots of money is managed in this way. What does that actually change on the ground for how companies operate, how projects get financed, how sustainability gets kind of operationalized? Right. Well, I mean, the the issue is it's not even as much as the uh, capital accessibility uh, for the companies, because face it, large companies can get uh, financed uh, pretty well, um, even without some of the fund flows that uh, they might like to have. But that active ownership and the constructive dialogue that good managers have with companies, uh, both from an operational and executive standpoint and a board level standpoint, that makes a huge difference. Those dialogues, the ability to push for transparency, 
the potential to have uh, implications for corporate brands, right? These are big deals. And face it, um, sometimes it's it's the lack of information that's as telling and predictive as having information. You know, so if we know that for years, uh, for example, Volkswagen uh, discloses carbon emissions, and then a couple of years ago they stopped. They just stopped. So you didn't get the data, and then all of a sudden they have a massive, a massive fraud. And the sustainable investors, from what I understand, were not even in the stock because they noticed that that carbon emissions data was not there. It had disappeared. That's a signal, right? So any point of disclosure that is material in a sector or to a company, and any ESG data point is a starting point for inquiry. So asking questions, making things visible, getting it to a high level inside a company. And for those companies that want to keep raising the bar, this is really important stuff. That's all about active management, not passive management, not hugging uh, or just being an index. You know, that doesn't give voice to progress. Well, so let's get real. Like one of the advantages people think about active versus passive is you're willing to divest. You know, you're going to be fossil fuel free. So presumably you won't have to divest your fossil fuel portfolio because you won't have one. But what about other you know, tough cases where there's a bad actor in some field, maybe gets surprising, becomes a surprising bad actor, like you thought they were a good actor and they turn out to be a bad actor? Do mm-hmm. you uh, take it to management and you give them what for? Well, hopefully it's a, it's a constructive conversation that looks to kind of improve circumstances. But remember, sustainable investing comes in all flavors, right? So, um, uh, you know, everything is gray. Right there, as an example, like so, if Apple Computer has a, um, you know, a component in the iPhone, but everything else they do is really well, but that component is produced by a weapons manufacturer, like okay, we're we just going to right away divest of Apple, right? So let's say with uh, Amazon, um, we're not happy enough with how they're dealing with uh, their materials and carbon emissions from shipping and um, uh, other things. But there's some great stuff about the company, too. Right. So it's not black and white. We figure, you know, how do we go ahead and how do we engage? And then as an investor, you have to say, okay, what am I just simply not going to do? And what are the trade offs? So let's say um, there's a company, a chemical company, BASF right? In Germany. Well, it's chemicals, so we should divest. But wait a second, if we divest, um, uh, and and if BASF couldn't do well, well, you know what? You're not going to have your sneakers. You're not going to have uh, your tires. You're not going to have steering wheels for cars. There's so many products you're not going to have. And so should that company be, you know, thrown out of a um, of some kind of index? I don't, I don't think so. But again, some people would. So the reason I mention all these is because it's all gray and it's all about the alignment of the values of a particular investor. We don't say what the values should be. We say, okay, if this is your um, intentionality, we're going to help you manage your money towards that while still getting competitive returns. Because I think all uh, of us here know, and all, as all the empirical data shows us, uh, to do sustainable investing, uh, divesting or not, you have to sacrifice nothing in terms of financial returns. 
you you've always been on that side of the of that of that of that discussion um but you know at some point maybe you do have to sacrifice it what if you have to write down assets because they're about because they they they're they're stranded assets either voluntarily or involuntarily i mean isn't that where the active management's going to actually play a role is in those tougher decisions if it's all win win then of course everybody's happy well again this all depends on on you on your on your appetite on your willingness to take concessionary returns Right. And by the way, if you look at the oil sector, look at Exxon over the past few years, you know, you might have divested of it because, again, you you don't want to own fossil fuels. But you know what? If you didn't divest of it for investment reasons, you would have underperformed. Right. It did badly anyway. In the long term, you don't want to own these stocks because of arguably stranded assets. Right. But again, it's always going to be um, dependent on uh, the intentionality of the asset owner. So just to bring it back around to CCIIX or the other efforts, how does that fill that trillion dollar gap? So uh, the issue is, again, it flows from everywhere. All right. So if we're, you know, the, the foundations of the world, the families of the world, the ultra high net worth investors of the world, that's not enough. Right. If we're talking about trillions, we need the pension funds. We need the endowments. We need the sovereigns. We need trillions again flowing. This is why you need the public equity markets. And this is why you have to find the managers that really get it. And I should say, one of the reasons we built the Access Impact Fund is because when we looked around and we try to find these kind of solutions for our clients all the time, what we found is it didn't exist. Exactly what we needed, global thematic impact didn't exist. So we decided to build it ourselves. Does when you say it comes from the pension funds, but it goes from a pension fund into this fund? And I asked you, how does that change the facts on the ground? That's the connection I want to make on public equities. So can you make that connection? Um, I'm not sure I know what you mean. So I get that an investor wants to be in those sectors, but are you actually filling the financing gap for, of clean energy investment? That's what I. That's what I don't get. Your investors' investment in that fund does not count in my book as financing the clean energy transition. Um, actually, I'm not sure about that because think about it. The right? public companies are spending uh, more on alternative energies than are the private companies. So there's a huge number of kind of startups and technologies and everything else, but and they're critical. But at the same time, the money, I mean, Saudi Aramco is spending more on alternative energies than, than anybody, right? Um, so you do need um, you do need money. So to the extent that the public markets are financing the public companies, you're saying that this signal that that if you're on the right side of the energy transition, you're going to be a good stock market performer, and you are a good stock market performer as those trends play out. Absolutely. Um, that just is a referendum on the future, and, and and let's go. Let's all let's all go to that renewable uh, yeah, that renewable I- future. I like the way you said that, David, a referendum on the future. That's beautiful. I usually talk about the, the bad stuff, how the future of our children is being mortgaged by us if we don't take action. Well, hope and hope and fear, it's uh, for it, it ever, ever is so, I, I gather. Well, thank you, Erica Karp, very much for being with us. Thanks for CCIX and, and all your work with Cornerstone. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise, David. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, Erica Karp, and to David Bank for that great conversation. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, 
providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at impactalpha. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact at the fintech company Liquidnet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of that word next time.